This episode is brought to you by Skilljar. In customer education, we know that trained customers are your best customers, which is why companies turn to Skilljar to drive adoption, retention, and efficiency, support their products, and to build healthier, more profitable organizations and strengthen the power of your brand. You don't say. Well, just look at some of the great companies that use Skilljar to power their own training programs. That's companies like LinkedIn, Cisco, U-Haul, Spotify, and more. They all trust Skilljar to train their customers, partners, or even employees. And I like that it's well-architected with quality connectors and integrations to Salesforce and HubSpot. We both appreciate their amazing partnership from their customer success team. Get your personal demo for Skilljar at skilljar.com. Customer training made easy. Welcome to C-Lab, the Customer Education Lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice on site. I'm Adam Evermescu. And I'm Dave Darrington. Welcome, everybody. All right, what are we going to talk about today, Adam? I think this is the continuation of our book club, so to speak. Yeah, and what better day to have a book club than on National TikTok Day? Ooh. Not not TikTok, TikTok, as in TikTok. the noise not a clock like makes. It, not like my obsession now, and I finally gotten into the TikTok culture. No, this is the oh yeah, you know any of the dances? Ugh, just stop. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, it's it National is, uh, TikTok Day because uh, because time is running out. So right. hopefully that puts a pall of pressure over our entire episode today. But it's also <laughs> it's also appropriate because we are going back in time, and so the clock is winding back once again, not to the year 1984. So we covered on a previous episode. We covered uh, Claudia Gaillard Mir's customer education book from 1984. And now uh, we're, we're jumping forward in time. We've had 13 a years. 13 years, 13 years. Many things have happened. Uh, empires have risen and fallen. And it's now the year 1997. And we rejoined the state of customer education with strategies for customer, uh, strategies for effective customer education. By Peter so Hohenbein. <laughs> Look how many notes I've got here. I can't even open it anymore. <laughs> it's I like stuffed, stuffed full of notes. Um, but yeah, so we're we're reviewing, we're continuing our review of historical customer education books, and uh, this is an interesting one. We'll we'll walk through it, but it's a. Uh, it's interesting, first of all, to see like where the state of customer education is in this book because it's evolved, but it still has, I think, quite a bit of continuity with what um, Dr. Mir described in yeah. the previous book. And and yet uh, the angle that this book comes at it from is very different. It's, a, it's refreshing, actually. It's this one, I think, read a little bit easier. And I liked how it was structured and it did a lot of trends. And there was there were some more use cases or case studies in it. Plus, yeah. from a high level, what I really dug about this, just paging through again and looking at my notes, there are some templates and methodologies in here that I'm going to be using as I update my own um, strategic content. This is great. This is a great book. This is a great find. Where'd you yeah, find there's actually book? some like actionable tools. Where did I find it? I, I don't know. I don't know where I found this one. I don't, but it, I mean, it's you don't find a lot of books with customer education in the title. I was even skimming through the the notes in which uh, Claudia's book was the first reference, if, if I looked at correctly. Um, but not a lot of books out there that even reference customer education. I think we've hit most of them now. Your book. Yeah. Barry's, Claudia's book. Yep. This book, yep. maybe some topical papers or something. I know we had uh, there. There are some papers out there. We did um, Julia did we one did on Julia Kubricks, and then we it. also did. Um, we didn't. There's there's another paper that I read out there that's about uh, customer education that maybe we can cover sometime in the future. But I, it, maybe it's important to start here by the difference in positioning of of the books because 
Uh, the previous one was written more as, let's say, like an academic study on the state of customer education because uh, her her thesis in that book was companies are doing this thing called customer education and they're putting money into it, but they don't know what it's called and they don't know that it's this distinct practice. And so I think her her project was to find and define continuity between uh, all these different fields of customer education. I'd go along with that. And I would say basically then we, we as an industry or, or a category or what, what do we call ourselves? A field, a discipline, a practice, whatever. All. All. Um, I okay, think no, now what those. that allows us to do is if I were to frame this up. <laughs> um, take a drink. Down, we pick, Take a drink, everyone. Uh, I'll say telemetry next. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. All right, we're munging your catchphrases. Into munging, one. yeah, there's three. Um, we pinned down the date to the genesis of customer education to at least 1984. We, in fact, can, I think, date it a little bit earlier because even in her book, she's citing some earlier case uh, studies. Like they weren't books, but they were they were studies of the customer education field. I think dating back even to the late 60s, 60s early 70s. So now. It's, it's 1997. Uh, companies have kind of kept doing these, these similar customer education activities, but not necessarily calling them customer education because now you have Peter Honbein, who's coming at this from a very different angle. He is writing this book for the American Marketing Association. And he is picking up on a similar hypothesis, which is that there are companies out here who are educating their customers. Um, but his, his project here is not the same as the other book. His project is, is less about trying to define and name what this field is. He's rather observing that uh, companies are, are doing this and companies are seeing benefits from doing this. Uh, so his project is more to give you uh, a set of strategies that you can use to build your own customer education practice, similar to uh, the companies that he's profiling in this book. Yeah, I I was just going back and looking through his um you know, the book matter and the, the front page. I like how this can I read this? Because I think this helps yeah. frame up what we're gonna talk about. So exactly. Peter Honbine says, ever try to program a VCR or assemble your child's play equipment? These are just two of hundreds of examples frustrating of frustrating experiences that alienate customers from new products. And the customers that and the companies that make them, these products fail not because of poor quality or because they can't meet and even exceed customer needs. They fail because customers don't understand how to get the benefits these products can deliver. You could say the exact same thing about software today and hardware, right? Customer exists for for hardware today as well. Yeah, but but what I want what I wanted to make. What I want to open space for here in this, make kind of feel weird. The felt experience of customer education to me has always been B2B SaaS and, and software and stuff. And now what, what I feel like after reading the last book and now reading this book and thinking about the companies that we're talking about in it and the, the use cases that we're talking about, it's expanded the scope a little bit. It's not just software. Yeah, B2B software is is one form of customer education. And and specifically, I think this kind of goes back to our hypothesis that we were getting at in, in the, the 1984 book, which is like, why why was why was there this momentum around naming the category customer education and describing this as a consolidated practice? And then like kind of by the time we got into this field in you know various points in the two thousands, it it had like people weren't calling it that anymore and and it didn't feel uh, like it had a continuity or, or, or contiguity with um, the forms of customer education being described in these books, which are more like sales and marketing based. Uh, and, and I think maybe part of that is related to the industry. So like a lot of what we see here, these customer education efforts, they are no longer going to be labeled as customer education for some of the industries that are being described, like some of the like okay. consumer packaged goods or like financial retail, like it's just not being called customer education there anymore. Whereas in software <clears throat> and specifically in SaaS, we had a need to create a different way 
to educate our customers on the products that we have because of the SaaS business model and because customers have to be constantly relearning how to use the product. So we kind of came up with not a new name for it, an old name for it. We revived an old name for it to describe a different way of educating our practice, uh, our customers, which was, I think, standing in contrast in some ways to uh, both education services, which was tied yeah. to the idea more of like on-prem software where you needed to make this strong investment in delivering services to your customers to have them be able to operate the, the software that they were, were learning how to use. Uh, but also in contrast, and I think this is kind of where we get back to this book, to something like product marketing, which is, I think, I think, I think what is being called customer education in this book, which is being primarily described as a, a, a marketing practice that ultimately yields customer service goals, that I think became product marketing. And I was thinking oh. about this. Because my first job on the, like, well, my, my first job was, was working for uh, like an instructional design uh, courseware vendor. But the first time I moved in-house, I was thinking about this. I reported into a marketing org and I forgot about that until I started reading this book. So actually the idea of educating your customers on what the product is and how it works and how to use it, that actually has been considered a marketing function that never really went away. It's just that now that SaaS showed up and customer success showed up, customer success kind of picked up the mantle of customer education functions because it's more tied to the idea of customer success and the ongoing renewal and net retention and adoption. I don't know. We can, we can, we can. Maybe we need to pair into the book, that. but yeah. let's dive in. But I want, I, I wanted to say this, that I feel like we're still splitting hairs a little bit. And the more we do this research and we think and we reconnect to our past and we say, well, what did we do? Oh, now this, I'm not going to repeat what you said, but it's customer education. It's been here for a long time. We can call it product education or product marketing or whatever. Like it still all comes back to the fact that we're all educating in the business and that we're yeah, trying it to never, <clears throat> it never truly, it never truly went away it just got aligned to different different parts of the org. And so people weren't calling uh, it customer education the way that we call it customer education today. Yeah, and I, I think we'll get into this, but I think that bothers me a lot because it, it bothers me in that we're all doing the same kind of function, yet it's like, you know, like yeah. names. And we talked about this in a previous podcast where, you know, what what is the saying, a rose by any other name, you know, would, would smell as sweet. Yeah, but it's rose. <laughs> you yeah. could call it something else. It could be product education or product marketing or customer enablement or whatever. The fact, I, I don't want to belabor this. We talked about it before, but we are now, I'm calling this customer education. And I'm feeling like we can actually bubble out a little bit more. because, like, And, and this is where I want to start with this too. Adam, I'm working with people under the auspices of customer education and not B2B SaaS now. And it's happening more frequently. And what the, what's, what the, the difference in nuances and now in 19, and well, let's just say 2023, the time this airs, is that people are coming back to realize that the, well, they're not coming back, they're coming to us and realizing, oh, you've kind of reinvented and nurtured all of this stuff that we all know what it is. It's new and not new. I keep saying that. And now we're giving it a name and now we're expanding the practice, but we need to go back to our roots again and say, okay, now let's pursue this marketing aspect of it, particularly. Yeah. And this talking marketing, it blows up every time we have a discussion about marketing in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, so, okay. So that was a good frame up. I think now we're ready to, to get into the book because really the, the idea here is he's describing customer education as a marketing function, but he describes a lot of the same, goals including like customer service goals uh that that we we, we you know we think of today exactly. and specifically one of the one of the things he starts with in the introduction is he's describing a trend where he says more businesses are considering their customers as learners and he attributes that to the growing complexity of products in the market 
as well as uh, a few other trends. So uh, this is this is kind of like where the book dates itself a little bit, and it doesn't really do it that much afterwards. Um, but he starts by talking about um, the days of writing for a product brochure are now over because you can now log into the company's World Wide Web homepage and get the knowledge you need at the touch of a key. So we're at that point in history now, right, where things are actually coming online and you're able to get information remotely. And because of that wealth of information, he says customers are getting smarter due to the information age. But, and this is a quote, information alone is goal free. We must grapple with the information to make sense of it. Thus, customer education is about structuring the information so that it can be absorbed and applied. Or I like that. Yeah. Curation, so, that grappling, that we're, we're, gosh, I wish I can remember the book that I read, Adam, but the, it, it goes along with this evolution of an organization, the evolution of a business. And, and if, if I could do this, this is an audio podcast. Think about a beginning of a company's journey and you have a big circle or an oval, and then you have little circles or ovals in that big circle and they start to grow. So you have a seed of support the seed of sales, the seed of marketing. And they start to grow to fill that space, which is the space, problem set space of your business. And that fluid around all of these bubbles, like support as a problem because people call in and ask education questions or questions that could be solved by education. Salespeople have the same problem. Support, like, oh, I said support twice, but oh, is meaning professional services. This episode is brought to you by Intellum. You know Intellum. We've had them on the show before. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that customer education leads to retention and revenue. So the Intellum platform gives you everything you need to educate your customers, partners, and employees on the products and services you sell. They've got a great platform. They've got Evolve as an authoring tool. And with Intellum, put it all together, you can deliver highly personalized and engaging learning experiences Give your customers a single destination for all their learning needs and create and manage a wide range of content. So check them out today at try.intellum.com slash C-E labs. That's C-E-L-A-B-S. There's all this stuff that we that hasn't been taken care of. And I, and I like to say this kind of frames up as we're looking, we're perceptually changing our our impression of a customer as a learner, not just somebody who's paying us money. They're a learner first. Wow, that changes the entire framework of how we pursue them and we work with them and partner with them. That's true. And it's interesting to see him calling out these trends here in 1997, which like they, these pretty much all come true to, to varying capacities. So I'll very quickly outline the ones that he talks about. He, he talks, number one, about the trend of the knowledge-based business so that it's no longer just about delivering information to a customer, but rather that companies also have to be learning from customers and tailoring their solutions to them. So like the, he gives an example of like a, a tennis racket that uh, glows where the ball hit it. So you can, you can learn where, um, you know, how to, how to play tennis better. But if you, if you extrapolate that back to what we do in software uh, or even in hardware, like this exists now, this is what smart devices are. This is what CRMs help us do. So we have continuity when we when we work with our customers. Like we have all become learning businesses in in the sense that we we learn from our customers and we retain that memory. We don't often call it as such, though. Right, we don't. Uh, but it implies that that businesses have to consider what customers want, like how they want to get value from your product and educate them on how to do it. So that mm -hmm. kind of ties into trend number two, which is he talks about the rise of solution selling and relationship marketing which is the idea that customers don't want products, they want solutions to problems that they're having, which implies that we need to help customers make that solution work for them. And then the byproduct he calls out is that we form relationships with customers once we've helped them solve their problems. That's still true. Solutions, solution selling is very much alive today. And those relationships have stemmed or ha have grown into what I would say is more customer success motions, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and and uh, like solutions marketing exists as well. It, you, you see it pre-sales and, and post-sales, but those should be working together. 
And then trend number three is the one that I talked about earlier, where I was kind of like making fun of the, the World Wide Web touch of a button thing. But basically, he's calling out that now information is much more widely accessible, and we don't need to rely on analog ways of delivering information to customers. So uh, he, he calls out that increasingly expensive trainings with travel, doing onsite, all of that is already starting to decline, even in 1997 in favor of distance education is the term he uses for it, but we might call it now like remote or virtual. Um, and also he calls out the dynamic that that creates more of an expectation that things are going to be updated in real time. It's not like you update your brochure once a year. If it's online, you can just update it. So this is something you didn't really have to think about, you know, back in the, uh, the Claudia Gaillard mirror era. Um, not at all. Yeah. And then uh, trend four, uh, this is interesting because uh, you know I wasn't really around for for this one and didn't really didn't it never it never fully clicked with me that this is how it used to be. But he calls out that um, companies have been downsizing their internal training departments in the '90s, uh, meaning that vendors are now responsible for doing the training of customers on their products. And it didn't occur to me that that's actually something that would have lived in internal training previous to this because you would have built expertise internally on how to use these products or how to operate them and trained your own staff on them. Yeah. And now like those, those L and D people are being let go and the vendors are responsible for training the customers to be successful. In that time period is what you're talking about. In that time period. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, like this spurs so many things that I want to talk about today, but in that time period, yeah, this was it was really fun because I'm like I was reading this book and I was going back in time um, because I've been there all along when I worked at or used to work at a company called Mountcroft Pharmaceuticals and I was the manager of the technical computing group at the time. My job was to help implement and adopt softwares like in the, we call them uh, management execution systems and uh laboratory man laboratory management systems laboratory you know they would do the data it was equivalent of an lms for in, almost the same thing and the the funny trend the fun transition and so i i gotta say this because it helps in my mind at least frame up the discussion we're going to have i remember being in that era where i was working in a laboratory and using these very sophisticated applications Software was my life uh, every day. I mean, I did more software work than I did lab work. And it was and, the 90s. So you probably had one of those shirts that said software is life. The rest is just details. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but then I went to work for a software company around 2002. And in that whole area, it had been, okay, get the manual. Well, we don't have updated training. There wasn't anything online. To the end of that short stint of time in the early nonce, I was in an organization when we were doing that exact thing, updating the documentation. And the documentation was on a CD that we had to master and send with the software, which in my tenure com converted to a website or a knowledge base that we didn't have, which during my tenure we built and we, we, we built a community out of it. And all these things were just kind of like, oh gosh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like this self replicate, like, this thing kind of creating itself. And now you have this whole virtual online, like this new form of education evolving from that era. It's fascinating. Which, yeah, I think now takes us then into, he has a whole chapter defining what customer education means in this time period. So do you want to take us into that, Dave? Like he defines it, right? Yeah, yeah. We were so let's get into defining customer education in chapter two. I like to think about this as that it's a glue for our business. The quote from the book is customer education is not an event, it is a process. It exists throughout a customer's relationship with your company before, during, and after the sale. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great place to start with this. Wow, that's a different kind of. Uh, okay. I, I I like how you he start off with what it is not, um, but I, yeah, I like not an I, event, which is like we say this too, right? Like customer, we say it's like it's not an activity; it's a a function or something. Like that. It's a function. It's a it's an act. It's you know all of the things that go together to help our customers connect with and get to the answers that they're looking for, and that last and matter over time. Yeah. And so he's kind of like linking as well, like strategically, he situates 
uh, customer education kind of within marketing, but affecting sales and ultimately support. Because he, he kind of talks about it narrowing the gap yeah. between the customer's knowledge about your product and and actually like selling the product, that being like the, the pre-sales function, uh, but also then supporting proper usage of the product, which builds customer loyalty. And, and so then... Then, then he defines it, right? So he says he he, he starts with the anti-definition. It's not, it's not an event, it's a process. But then what is it actually? He says, customer education is the process by which co companies systematically share their knowledge and skills with external customers to foster the development of positive customer attitudes. Mm. What do we draw from that? It's a process. It's systematic. It's about taking a company's knowledge and skills and sharing it with customers to yield positive customer attitudes. So you're going to see the effect being on like CSAT, customer loyalty, sentiment. Retention, churn, all that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. So it's interesting. It's like it's a, it's a directional definition. And I kind of I was thinking about like the the Claudia Gaillard mirror definition from her book. And I'm actually I'm looking at, at that one. This is the 1984 book. She says she defines it as any purposeful, sustained and organized learning activity that is designed to impart attitudes, knowledge, or skills to customers or potential customers by a business or industry, which is a more all-encompassing definition and it's less directional. It's But like what they have in common is they're both talking about imparting knowledge and skills or sharing knowledge and skills right. from a company to a customer, and it can be pre-sales or post-sales. But I think I like Honebein's definition better because because it, it, it has like a, a result uh, attached to it, even if we wouldn't say that that result is kind of in our, in our definition that we use today. Yeah. I, I also like, he was talking about the, the audience, which is, I think you've actually said it, but I want to put it in a different way. He cites resellers, buyers, and users, mm -hmm. which these days I think more about, um, our customers, our product users. But when you'd say user, it's more inclusive, right? When I say customer, I mean a user. I, a customer can be an internal employee. It could be a partner. It can be a customer. Yeah. It could be anybody. A customer of software. It's, it's, it, I think it actually is better than the word user because now we're thinking Tron. <laughs> well, user. but like we also have, <laughs> we, we have this issue where we say customer and a customer can mean an account which contains uh -huh. multiple users in different roles and also can contain buyers and like users. Uh, and then we can say customer and we can actually mean like a human who is doing something at the company that is buying software from you. Correct. And this kind of, this gets a little bit sticky and nasty when you start thinking about like uh, sales led growth versus product led growth. Like who is the user and how are you, or sorry, who is the customer and how are you educating them? actually becomes a really pivotal question. So if we do an episode in the future that's on that topic, and I'd, I'd really like to, uh, you'll see like where, where, this, where this complicates. But anyway, like, so, but he's talking about it as a marketing tool. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I'm trying to gather my thoughts here. The more, yeah. remember we went, the last time we did, and again, I think you let in with this. We, we did this whole recording. We were trying to cover all of the different parts of the customer life cycle, starting with marketing. Yeah. We got stuck on marketing. We did two episodes on that, and then it exploded. It's one of the most popular episodes ever. And I think that's because... It, it was it was the fifth most popular episode of last year. I don't know if that's like the most popular ever, but... It was one of a very... Take your meaning. Take your meaning. But... When we talk about marketing periodically, it is popular. Um, yeah, true. Because marketing, I, I've always felt like I've worked for marketing a couple of times in my career. Once I was a webmaster and I did kind of a lot of the stuff that I'm doing today, but it was more like getting content out there. And then I did education as a part of marketing too. I feel very liberated when I'm working in a marketing team. And I feel like it's a, kind of a natural connect for education because there is so much education going on and we just don't give a name to it in the yeah. pre-sales activity, in the marketing activity. A customer goes, I have this problem. I want a solution for this problem. Or I didn't even know I have this problem. And it came to me and then I want to learn about what that problem is. 
-hmm. and learning, 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 learning. I think one of the assumptions that I've always had is that, and this is sad to even articulate in words out loud, is that I've commonly looked at sales and marketing folks as less technical. And therefore, you know, like when it comes to education, I've not seen that be a part of their role. But that's wrong completely. That in sales and in marketing in particular, there has to be this understanding and cognizance of what the platform can do at a pretty deep, sophisticated level. And sales if there's and a, marketing are in the business of educating customers on how, how to use the product, why the product matters. Like we, we work very closely with, with sales and marketing. But, but I want to ask you this question because, yeah. and th this is kind of personal, but I'm asking you, have you seen in your tenure as a customer education professional that sales and marketing had less or more of a role to play in education current times oh like in, like yeah in my career not in the the 90s yeah in your career and not in this book not in the context of this book but I'm well like problem. like i told you i originally reported into a marketing department which i yeah. just realized recently i've always partnered very closely with marketing even when i didn't sit in marketing Mm -hmm. Product marketers, customer marketers have been some of my very best friends in making any of this stuff happen. And I believe in many ways that like product marketing or customer marketing, it's just, it's the flip side of the same coin as customer education. Great. And so while in this book, for instance, you see a lot of examples where you've got like salespeople on the floor doing the training to customers. And that's something that's sort of like, I think that's phased out a little bit, even though I do, I see it happen. Like, it's not like it's entirely disappeared, but it doesn't be, appear to be like the model in the way that it is in these books. Um, things have centralized a little bit more, uh, but you, you see it, you see it happening. And then I think the other, the other piece that like the other dynamic that he's describing is back to this like reseller buyer user thing. He's kind of making the point that customer education is ultimately not just about educating a user on how to use your product, but a user is going to be in an account with a buyer. So the buyer needs to be educated on how to buy the product and on how to sure. educate the user to use the product. But the buyer might not be buying directly from you. They might be buying from a reseller. So the reseller needs to be educated to buy the product. And I'll give you some examples, right? Okay, so he, cool. he talks about like, um, like a pepper spray company, uh, they're, they're not just, uh, they're not just like putting instructions on the pepper spray label. They make like a training video where a police officer shows you techniques on how to use the pepper spray and, and how to use it safety. Or he gives an example of grease monkey, which is, uh, uh like an oil change company, yeah. uh, having the technicians on the floor, teaching customers what they're doing during an oil change. And then he's talking about like Boeing training airlines on how to use their, their planes. Those are all product based. And here he's talking about like the four P's of marketing product, pricing, promotion. And I forget what the four, the fourth P is, but he kind of situates it between product and promotion. Those are all educating customers on like what the product is and why it's important. Um, yeah. Then he gives examples of customer education for promotion. And there he gives an example of like Sony's industrial video department going to trade shows and having people sit and like test drive the, the editing modules or uh, Merrill Lynch shows up again. They were in the last book. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they're still, they're still doing public education with brochures and, and seminars. So this stuff is still happening. And the interesting thing is it's happening pre-sales with the goal of the customer either making a more informed buying decision, uh, which is sort of like the promotion piece, or uh, being able to choose and then properly use a product so they use it again, which is like the product piece. But he considers that all marketing. Because it's being delivered primarily, I think, pre-sales. And I think maybe he's saying in some sense that like even a company providing support is also still close enough related to a marketing function. Yeah. Cause I think org charts were different. It's still education <laughs> is our point. 
it is still education. And so, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't know if I care where it's being done. I think customer education is customer education. It's in it, it's an example of the fluidity of our practice. It can be applied in many ways and up the stream, down the stream. But I think if I were to say anything, I really like this. I mean, I think it's actually very impactful to think our marketing team is so into helping our customers truly understand the value of the product, how the product can be used correctly. What are the best? This is nothing different than we're doing today. No. And I think like where he clarifies this, like where this all comes into focus is at the end of the chapter, he closes it out by talking about the goals of customer education. And he highlights three. He talks about sales, trust, and satisfaction. So customer education, he says, as customer education as a means to stimulate sales has long been a staple for business. You got to educate customers about what the product is. That's marketing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you have salespeople actually delivering training. So that's that's the pre-sales motion that we've been talking about. Then he talks about building trust. This is like, this is the helping sales approach that Bill Cashard and Rob Castaneda and Service Rocket always talk about. Um, by helping customers understand the field and, and understand the product and not like actively trying to sell, you actually build trust with them as an organization. So here he says like, customer education serves a long-term strategic purpose to help customers become better customers. Interesting, right? Educated customers are best customer. And that was the one that came out of Claudia's book. That's true. That was in the other book. And then finally, he talks about increasing satisfaction. So this is, I think, closer to how we understand product training today. You use the product better, you're going to be more satisfied with it. And he gives a cool example here of a Ferrari inviting people out to this like scholarship program in Italy where they go to a racetrack and some like Italian dude teaches them how to drive the car on their racetrack, which is also like, that's not just satisfaction. That's today probably what we would call like surprise and delight. Imagine having all, guess all of your learning challenges solved. With the Tables Learning Suite, an AI powered LMS built for enterprise, you can tackle any challenge. You can easily create and manage content, deliver training, and measure the business impact of your programs. Dechebo is built for customers, partners, and employees alike, with dozens of integrations to embed directly in the flow of work. Check out Dechebo today at docebo.com. You know, as you're as you're reading through this, I, I, I probably told this story before, but I'll try to make it concise. This kind of stuff, like the building trust, the the helping people understand, you know, what this product is and how to use it and the satisfaction, the, the attitude, the empathy, the feeling like this product is important to me. Um, one of the experiences that I have that I still won't forget is when I was working at my own company, I did video game tournament events and a sponsor was the army. And, and I felt a little weird about that, to be honest, because I'm like, well, what am I, what are they selling? What am I selling? How, what is this relationship about? The transformation mentally that I had about that was um, they took me, they invited me to this thing called this influencer program. And they wanted to teach me how the army taught people. They taught their people. And I, who was I talking about with this? Was this you or um, maybe Brian or somebody about, we were talking about military. Actually, I think it was another friend, but we were talking about the military and how the military trains people. And you think about churn and you think about turnover, you're basically turning, you're, you're having a whole new crew every so many months come through and have to learn these skills that they have to take out into a combat situation or a very hostile situation. It's really important people understand things. And what I was trained in that time is how do you, how do, to be in a tank simulator, you know, the ones that are physically moving, um, got into the actual a virtual tank, which was feel, um, you know real, but then I got out in the battlefield on the, the practice course with these tanks and got to look inside them and touch them and watch them roll by and to see the people working with the vehicles and how they operate. And I mean, I got the feeling of what it was like to load a gun, you know, load the gun in an Abrams tank. I got to see, you know, like the Barretts and how the, they would bring, you know, all this stuff. I walked away from that experience just fundamentally transformed. Like, wow, this is very technically sophisticated, very fascinating. There's a lot of neat stuff going on here and it's done well. And that, that had a huge impact on me. 
Now think about that from company perspective. I've got this product and I've got to teach somebody uh, the job, all the jobs I've had, Adam, in the last decade have been this. Why are we hiring you, Dave? Well, we want to hire you because we have a product that our customers can't use, don't understand or try, are struggling with, don't feel good about or unhappy with or, you know, like this is marketing. We want to make sure people understand and feel and love the product are going to get use out of it and know that they're that we're there to help them out. So yep. really, really neat what's going on in this book. I, I agree. And I, I think like it has a tie if we want to jump, you know, several years into the future to that Lincoln Murphy quote that we always like to share. Oh, yeah. He says, he says, we have to educate people on not just how to use our product, but quite frankly, that they need the product and what they'd even do without the product. So speaks to me to the scope of customer education continuing to remain larger than, than just product education. And it's an interesting thread that's persisted from this book to, to the present. Yeah. It gets me thinking, I've been doing a lot of reading about anthro uh, or um, archeology span and thinking, and one of the, I uh, was watching a show last night about tools and you know, how the first people had created you know, they've created an axe and they sharpen one side of a stone, but all of a sudden they realize they can sharpen two sides and make an arrowhead out of it. And that, and who are the customer educators back in the in those stone ages that were doing our job back then? You gotta love the arrow. And <laughs> okay, Dave, I'm I'm, ran, I'm 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 bringing out the cane. I'm reining you in on this one. Uh, we gotta we gotta keep going. So okay, so let's 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 be brief with with these next ones because like. In the next chapter, he, he basically outlines uh, analyzing performance problems with customers and products. And here's where he introduces uh, instructional systems design as the, the way that you can actually connect uh, a person with a solution to their problem. So he actually, he describes the Addy model, he, uh, he maps it out, and um, he's starting with analysis, right? So just like in Addy, we start with analysis. And... As part of analysis, what he's recommending that companies do is start by understanding what the uh, the actual gap is between a customer and the desired behavior. So he calls out that education is only helpful when it's about lacking knowledge, skill, or motivation to be able to either buy it or, or use it. Um, the thing that he explicitly calls out this is not a solution for is when the product design is poor or the incentives to use the product or buy the product are low which is interesting right this is it's it's adjacent to this issue that we always talk about where where people say oh well the product design should be so good that you shouldn't even need customer education and yet he's he's kind of saying the opposite here he's saying like if product design is poor Customer education is not the solution to that. The solution is fix your product. I think customer education, bold. yeah. Like yeah, I, I really, he's going to really come like back to this. It's, it's basically what Peter is saying in this is there's a methodology to do this, right? And these, and what I really like is he succinctly wraps up, this is when it's appropriate and this is when it's not. And mm -hmm. that... That, that keeps coming up all the time. I think somebody said that to me more recently. Oh, our product is great. We don't need customer education. Then why are we talking? And you're telling me that you have a problem. And that problem yeah. is that your product, you, you have a misconception about your product. And I think we all naturally do this. We want to believe that our product is the best thing in the world. But when you get that product, like you put your put yourself in the position of the customer and have that true empathy audit with the customer and their use of it, and unbiased, you know, unbiased your perspective, you realize that your product is always going to have problems, particularly in, in an era now when the product is quite literally changing under our feet. Yeah. Yeah. And so in, in order to keep the customer able to not just purchase the product, but continue using it successfully, it means that you have to keep analyzing where customer education can bridge those gaps. So this is where he gives the example, for instance, of looking at uh, the performance of the product and analyzing the service calls to understand where training is necessary. And then actually using that to assess the ROI of education because you can map it to a decrease in service calls multiplied by like the average cost of a, a call. 
this this section here where he was talking about that was wonderful because it's one of the first areas or first times you hear this call out for ROI on education specifically. And the thing I want to say about this again to those who listen to the audience is that this is really hard to calculate. And if you're not, it is and it isn't. It's hard because if you're not thinking about what to track in the first place, you're never going to be able to calculate anything. And you have to do it early because if you're not doing it early, you won't be you won't have you won't have any line of sight to what you're trying to you know your outcomes um but i like that i like where he's actually gone back and said okay support calls now you did this at optimizely you had that really nice graph to show mm -hmm. we did this program our hypothesis was this we think it's going to, to to convert to a decrease in calls in other places they've seen that same thing but then seen an increase in other kinds of calls that are more in, you know the appropriate ones <laughs> yeah this is a good way, already quantifying and giving us some hooks and to measure the performance of our program. Yeah, absolutely. And and so then, you know, in thinking about like the different types of gaps that can be closed with the program, he points out, like, if it's a knowledge and skill problem, that's customer education's bread and butter, especially he calls out where new skills and technology or new systems and technologies are at play. So knowledge and skill gaps are big. He's, he's especially calling out in tech, right? Which is especially why I think customer education has reemerged in its, closed, its yeah. current format and why education services did so well in tech for so long and continues to do really well in tech, uh, especially for more complex products. So like the example he gives here though is, is even on the buyer side. He's like talking about customers who are buying a computer need to learn a ton of new terminology before they can productively buy a computer because in 1997 you don't necessarily know how to I, I don't know if this is true i feel like i knew how to compare like ram and like the examples he brings up but like a lot of customer uh, oh yeah totally taker, a lot of customers don't yeah back in those days we had like pc shopper magazine and stuff and those of us hardcore nerds were yeah we had we had a feeling we had some of that stuff but not everybody did it wasn't like it is today where it's ubiquitous right so sort of like like with knowledge and skill, like you could you could talk about this post-sales. We always talk about this post-sales, but it's interesting that he also brings this up pre-sales. And this is actually what you would call product marketing today, right? Helping educate the customer on what the product is and how it's different from other products and how to make a more informed buying decision based on it. Yeah. So that's knowledge you don't and skill. Think of that as an education role, but it absolutely is. Even though it's you just don't, so and this is why I say like product marketing and education are our best friends. We're doing very similar things, and where we're talking a lot, usually. Yeah. In cases where you're not, you should wonder and worry. We're using we're using the same content a lot of the times. Yeah. Um, but then, like, what if it's not a knowledge and skill thing? So then it could be motivation. And then he divides it into whether it's intrinsic or extrinsic motivation. If it's intrinsic, that can be solved somewhat with customer education. Um, and he, he has a he has this like John Keller intrinsic motivation equation where he's like value times expectancy equals motivation. So value is like the value you'll get, and the expectancy is whether you expect to succeed with it. So here, the role education plays is both demonstrating the value that you'll get from the product as well as increasing your expectancy, like meaning making you more confident that you'll be able to use it successfully. Yeah. So customer education can help with that for sure. Well, yeah, because we're, we're chunking, we're breaking things down. We're, we're, we're trying to approach learning pathways with clear objectives to make it easy to find and, and build that content in a way that it's useful and it's there when a customer needs it. So totally. it's, it, that, I like that that call out, the formulaic call out is another one that goes into our methodologies for customer ed. Yeah. But then like, what if it's not intrinsic motivation? What if it's not about your desire to use the product? What if it's an extrinsic motivation thing? So here is where he talks about if, if it's more like you're doing reseller education or like partner training programs and the resellers don't actually have an incentive to sell your product, no amount of training is going to fix that. Uh -huh. And I can tell you, like in working with partner programs, I saw this uh, all the time. This still exists, right? If like like partners will say, hey, you know what? We we want training. We want to get certified. Um, but we do that because we want business on, on the other side of it. And if you can't necessarily like feed them enough business, then they're not going to commit to learning about the product 
which makes you less confident to give them business, which makes them less confident to learn about the product, which makes you less confident to give them business, which makes you less confident to teach them about the product. So it's a cycle. And he's, yeah. Okay. I can speak to this fairly intelligently now because I've been on both sides of it because I am a reseller and I am developing educational material for vendors that I work with. And do you have extrinsic motivation to do it, Dave? Absolutely, I do. <laughs> and if you didn't, what education didn't? help? Well, like, okay, I'll give you some context. It, well, I can't, I can't name the names, but we are, at, in my day job at Service Rocket, we are a reseller of software. And we are, we have become pretty good. Like one of the programs that we're developing right now that's just launched is phenomenal. And the the trainer, instructional designer that's put together has done all kinds of really cool stuff. But we're motivated because we're we're able to use that to help develop larger programs and larger education, you know, services that we can sell off because it weds into other things that we do. Point being, we are or we value it, we learn it, we get rewarded because we make more sales and we're generating revenue off of that. So yeah, we're yeah, we're you're, you're extrinsically motivated, to, extrinsically perform motivated to, to perform. And that means we need to go back and do training periodically and definitely want to do it. It's high value for us. Yeah. So, but, but that's the exact hierarchy that he describes, right? Like because the extrinsic motivation is there and because you'll make money by doing this, then you're willing to invest in enabling yourself to do that via training programs. Whereas if that incentive weren't there, then training wouldn't fix that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that he talks about the training can't fix is the thing we talked about a moment ago, which is poor product design. So he gives examples of like unintuitive products. Like uh, he, he talks a lot about the design of everyday things, the book by uh, uh, Norman, what's his name? Donald Norman, um, the Nor- Norman doors guy, right? Where, yeah. Um, uh, like the door looks like it should be a, a pull door, but it's actually a push door because the, the affordances like kind of signal to you that it works a different way. So he's like, if you need, if you need to like put a label on the door that says push and it doesn't just look like it should be pushed, then that is unintuitive product design and you shouldn't have to put an instruction manual on the door that says push. The door should, should just work the way it looks like it's going to work. Yeah. This is like the, my mom doesn't need customer education to use an iPhone thing. Like when it, like you go and you interview with like the CEO of a company and they're like, oh, customer education position. Um, but we don't need customer education, do we? Cause like you don't need customer education to use an iPhone. It's like, well, two things. Uh, one is that uh, your product is not an iPhone. It's not designed like one. And even if you put a bunch of design effort into it, like it's still probably going to be more complex than an iPhone. And the second thing, I guess, is like when you have, uh, you know, like like a technology like that, like an iPhone, which is being used every single day, then the you know, like you're going to figure out the use cases for that a lot quicker and more easily than like a piece of enterprise software that's used for more complex use cases more infrequently. Yeah.